podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with co-hosts Daniel Quinn and Christopher Prunty, and our special guest here for the conclusion of our two-parter, Courtney Staples. Courtney, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Just to follow up with the last with last episode's announcement, we still have a Discord, and we still have a Patreon. Links down in the description. Links down in the description. Just check them out. Come hang out with us. Have fun. You know, like that's what it's all about. On to today's episode, the conclusion of The House of a Thousand Horrors. On last episode, we left you dangling, tea, oh, what's the word? seething with a, with a special twist that we've added on that's going to be the anchor for the rest of this episode. That twist was when a gift becomes a curse. So first, we're going to be go ahead and talking about that twist, how we're going to be applying the twist to our murder museum, and then we're going to be introducing an affliction and a conflict for the rest of the setting. So Courtney, again, you're a special guest. How did you take this twist and how did you apply it to the murder museum? <laughs> well, um, this one was tricky, I thought, because it seems like so far everything about this place is pretty terrible. Um, but I did have a thought about, um, maybe there is something where the museum basically makes a pact with, very rarely makes a pact with some of its visitors or victims rather. Um, maybe it senses something in them and allows them to escape and get out, um, in return for basically service for the rest of their lives um so it it allows them to live and maybe even gives them a gift of like artistic vision creativity and stuff like that um but the curse aspect is that they are bound to the museum they have to basically feed it victims for the rest of their life um and probably in the end of course they wouldn't know this ahead of time but in the end i assume that the museum would then kind of consume them uh, when they're about to die. I'm glad that we're on the same page because I had some very similar ideas, but mm. that's going to come up later in my conflict. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's a very uh, yeah. Dolomance, the, um, the school of the devil that attracts um, disciples and then keeps the, the brightest among them. Mm. Yeah. I had it mm. in mind as like a deal with the devil sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've all read Dr. Faustus, so I, I, I get that. <laughs> Do you see um, the, it, it's almost like the, the, we had like, I think it was a critic and a curator. It's almost like this person is the rotating cast of those roles almost. Mm, yeah. Like r rather than a permanent single person, it's like a series that they take on. Yeah. That's roles. what you seem to be suggesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I could see Man. that. I do see. I, I desperately want to get into my conflict, but we're still on the twist. God damn it! Because <laughs> my, my conflict encompasses all of this, and I have I have such cool ideas. But Chris, why don't you tell us your idea surrounding the twist? I wanted it to be that uh, there is someone in the museum who's been trapped there, possibly since they were a child, and. What they're doing is they're encapsulating people in artwork or in sculptures of some kind to prevent them from joining the uh, amalgamous spirit of the museum itself. So he's still killing them, but he's kind of preserving them in amber, as it were, to keep them from joining its power. Trying to starve the beast in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And that's gift in a or, or a curse. Beca uh, uh, sorry, a gift becomes a curse. How? You're being prevented from joining this spirit. It's kind of like being murdered and sentenced to purgatory as opposed to hell. Mm -hmm. mm. I, that's the way I see it as a gift. Like, gotcha. I'm still killing you, but in a way, I'm saving you. Oh, so it's like a gift uh, of death. Yes. Can we, can we have it so it's not like he's not murdering the people? But I liked what you were saying where you're preserved in amber can we make it so he's like trapping them in some sculptures 
And that way they're still living inside of the sculptures, but you know, like in, or, or even maybe it's like a, of a flesh to stone type deal, you know, where mm. you're not trapped within the murder museum, but man, your, your life is pretty much over. Like yeah, a sculpture I... garden in the courtyard or something. Oh yeah. 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 And then if we, if you wanted to go really fantastical with it, you could have that, that person be a Medusa of some mm. kind or a Gorgon, oh. I guess. I, I based the idea off of uh, an artist whose name I cannot pronounce no matter how hard I look at it. Is it <laughs> uh, it's, That's how you say that? I don't yeah. know. I'm just guessing. Oh, wow. This has got, got an art major in here. I got <laughs> slaw, but the Z D Z. It's actually, he's, he's Polish, so that's actually pronounced with a V. It's Zydyslav. Thank mm. you. That sounds fancy. Yeah, it's not. His art, but, is, his art is very cool, though. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of his artwork. Mm -hmm. It's horrifying nightmare fuel, and it's amazing. Ooh, we should and put a he was also thing. one of the earliest adopters of like 3D art, which is oh. like, which which sounds cool until you realize that it's like 1990s like CG, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> at least he was trying. <laughs> yeah, like I, I I appreciate the hustle, but it's bad. Stop it. <laughs> this will be uh, timeless. <laughs> Okay, okay, and uh, Daniel, what was your take on the whole twist? I, mine was more thematic um, in the hopes that it could be used in various ways, um, in the sense that to me it seems like whatever the secret or the prize of the museum is, it's probably something that the people who are visiting it have been drawn to and want to acquire. So, for example, if it's a group of uh, artistic academics, maybe it's like some lost... Um, piece of art that only this museum has. So it's something they all desire. But what I would imagine is that the gift itself becomes a curse because um, when they find the thing, it's the opposite of whatever they seek. And then that is what invokes um, the afflictions that, that we imagine. So with the example of the, the academics, it might be that they discover this thing and it ends up being um, a fraud or it ends up being completely like banal and so that give, you know creates madness in them and then the horror of the museum begins um, so imagine whatever it is that is the thing that the that the museum is offering or or creating as a as a lure is itself um, false or it, the inversion of their desire and that's what causes the horror my twist is actually kind of similar to yours Daniel that's oh, pretty interesting maybe that's an I example this, like, <laughs> yeah well I, I had this idea that um the gift becoming a curse is like the, the museum would essentially leave out these items that would, you know, essentially for, for, for the actors, right? Like mm -hmm. quote unquote actors. We said that the, that the whole point is that this museum is trying to recreate scenes over and over again in a cyclical fashion. Yeah. And so as a result, uh, the they leave out items that, oh, we'll help you try and escape. Don't worry. And these items are like, you know, magical items. There may be mm -hmm. a plus one sword or like a, a wand of some kind, you know, like if we're doing the standard fantasy stuff or they could just be more generally helpful. And what happens is as soon as they pick it up, they become increasingly possessive of that item. And there's a quick psychic link and then as a result, that thing starts to intrude itself into the thoughts of the person. So it's like oh. a slow possession. And the museum is assuring that that actor plays their part when the when the time comes. Oh, I like that. It's like they they're it's it's um kind of like the possessed sword or the possessed magic item, but it's transforming them into the scene. Exactly. And that's and that's how the scene kind of began or or comes to a head you know mm -hmm. and it's a thing they want like they maybe they've heard of this legendary item and they're like oh i finally have it but now they're enacting this horror that basically erases their identity absolutely and with that in mind all right i i really want to get over to the conflicts because i want to talk about the staff which is my conflict courtney in the last episode you said something really cool where you said that the the art critic and the museum were at odds and there were in, they were in conflict essentially. And so I decided to kind of expand on that and decide that the museum is at odds with its own staff and the curator and the art critic are included in that, you know, quote unquote staff. Essentially the staff are made up of 
either people who survive a scene when they're not supposed to, and they're, you know, they're not allowed to leave. Or the other idea that I have is that they're ritualistically allowed to become staff in some way. So this rotating cast or this rotating staff comes out of failed and, you know, broken actors who weren't able to move on essentially. And so you'll have, you know, and, and I would like to imagine that each of them kind of imagine themselves as a victim and all of them and the, the, where the conflict comes in is all of them want to save the actors, right? Mm. So they all want to make sure that this doesn't happen again, but due to the subtle machinations of the museum itself. So the staff believe themselves to be good and they either see themselves as, you know, like unwilling participants trying to save people and then they're either possessed by the museum, but is eventually they're all tools, they're all cogs in the giant wheel of schemes that the museum has in store for everyone. And they unwittingly play their part, whether they want to or not. But that's the conflict of, overall, is that they don't want to do this thing, but the museum makes them, essentially. Oh my God, you know what that reminds me of? Um, have any of you ever been to, um, in New York, the... Uh... The play that's done by Macbeth, I forget what it's called. Um, uh, Birth by Sleep or something like uh, that? Sleep No More. Yeah, sleep yeah. Sleep No More, yeah. Yeah, I'm picturing like your staff members because they're kind of like in this permanent dance of whatever the museum intends, and but they're trying to like struggle with it um, as being kind of like the actors in Sleep No More who move through the rooms. So like, mm -hmm. what, but what's cool about that too is like if you have new participants who come into this museum, they may not realize that something's wrong just yet because it has a staff mm -hmm. until they spend too much time there. Exactly. Yes. And it would also allow for like the manipulation of physical items or, or, or even mm -hmm. like the manipulation of, um, you know, the impossible space that we were exploring in the last episode. As right. Well. They won't realize things are wrong. So I start exploring like, wait a minute, something's wrong with these people and something's wrong with these rooms. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's mostly like the guilt that I want the staff to feel that I really brings out the horror I feel because again, if you have like Igor who's just maniacal and wants to murder people, you know, like that's, that, that's one thing. Yeah. If you have, a, if cats, you, yeah. yeah. If you have an enslaved and ensorcelled staff who are like, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry, you know, like weeping the entire time that they're essentially, you know, knife wielding at you. I, I find <laughs> right. that can be far more compelling. Or like certain rooms where it's like something's happening over and over again. You don't really understand. So in a way the staff is kind of also art pieces. Mm, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of it, but it's actual live performance art too. That's right. that's an extra layer that I like even more. Ooh. Absolutely. Ooh. I'm picturing this could lead to a lot of like really terrifying scenes where you enter a gallery space and there's just like a staff member huddled in the corner, like fighting back against the possession that's trying to overtake it and like make it stab mm -hmm. you or something. And just like, I don't know, just could see it being very creepy. There, you guys yeah. gotta go see Sleep No More. I'm telling you, this is exactly what it is. <laughs> what? Oh, I thought it was. I thought Sleep No More was Macbeth and also the 1920s. It was. I thought it's yes. like a mixture of two it's, different. It's amazing. Like, it's Macbeth, but it's styled like it's it's like a 20s kind of like lounge. Oh, um, but it's a whole floor that you explore, and it's super creepy. Ooh. Mm. Oh wow. Mm. I I did have so. Uh, uh, one more thing. I don't think it necessarily has to be like a violent encounter. You know, it's like their role is not to necessarily like murder them, but also like maybe they're coming at them with a ritualistic weapon and mm. their role essentially is to attack the, the people unsuccessfully so that when the people loot the body, they take up that ritualistic weapon and mm. that's one of the weapons that they need. You know, mm. it's, it's not always necessarily a violent thing. Their role doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm going to murder you, but it's a little bit more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. mm. No, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. Like in, even in, just again, as example, I sleep no more, like a lot of the actors you encounter, obviously none of them are actually trying to kill you, but a lot of the actors that you encounter, like are doing some particular thing over and over again. And so you have an interaction with them. That's creepy, but it's not necessarily deadly. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who wants to go next for conflict? Well, actually I had one uh, question or stipulation for you to, uh, I wanted a little bit of clarification on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you were saying that they were possessed, uh, but are, when they pick up an item, uh, 
they start to have this kind of subtle control being taken from them. Correct? Yeah, it's a, it's like a possession through an item, yeah. Would you say that uh, these failed actors or the staff themselves, since they ass- assume that they've picked up those items before, they still have that imprint on them? So if, like, it, the foreshadowing that uh, they can see as far as uh, the would-be actor who's dealing with the staff starts seeing him doing stuff that he saw the staff doing? That's yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I was thinking. So, you know, the the staff member has this item and the item makes them act a certain way. They have certain, you know, uh, idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. And then once the party realizes that the person who's been wielding that ritual weapon is starting to share a lot of those same idiosyncrasies, they start to recognize perhaps a little bit too late that, oh, this thing is possessing them. Okay. Got it. Okay. You know, like when you think of the classic horror film, there's always like a group of people who have their own um, conflicts and issues among them that are introduced into the horror situation. So I wanted to, you know, think about that in the context of the museum. Um, I was thinking about the conflict being what are the possible interpersonal um, issues that these participants have before they get like sucked into the, you know, endless art piece, art set that they're going to be forced to perform. Um, so it's imagining three different possible groups of people, um, one being your typical love triangle. So, you know, there's there's however many people, it could be three, but whatever it is that they have um, some kind of relationship that's fraught between the three of them, whether that's romantic or friendship. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the experience that they go through, um, the tra- the museum takes advantage of that trauma. And so what will get them killed is the blind spots that arise from like their conflict. Um, so this is clearer in the other two examples. Um, when we, th- or when you might have, for example, like, um, art, art museum types. So like professors or art critics that are going to explore the museum, but they have like a professional rivalry. Um, and so perhaps, you know, there's uh, revenge or, you know, a, a, some kind of uh, jealousy between them that the museum takes advantage. I also thought of the possibility of having like a group of kids where one is, uh, or younger, younger people, um, where one is maybe this straight laced academic sort, sort of kid who's been dragged along with a bunch of like, I don't know, hippie gothy art kids and the the straight laced kid is really interested in some particular piece of art and has resentment towards the others and so you know their desire for revenge or to be you know acknowledged um, by the the cool in group is what the museum takes advantage um so you know between those types of 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 interpersonal conflicts that's where the group trips up and the museum gets them whether it's makes them reckless or you know it's a desire for revenge or it's a jealousy like those are the things i think that um we identify with when we're thinking about um people in a horror film and that's how we can put ourselves in their shoes because we're like oh we can feel those same things and we can make those same mistakes and that's how it kind of gets them into the house very cool and um, the kind of like a mix of the academic and the student groups that you talked about but um i mean my experience in art school like sometimes we would go to a museum and have to do like a master study of an artwork or mm-hmm. um do sketches around the galleries and like pick out a piece that we wanted to focus on so i could definitely see like if there's a group of like art university students who stumble across this place and um go around kind of recreating the artworks in there like how would that um influence them when they're like recreating these basically cursed pieces of art Um, and then I imagine probably some levels of like maybe jealousy or something if there's one student who's doing really well maybe Mm -hmm. even the museum has like taken a liking to that student and is influencing them in a certain way yes Mm. kill the rest of them because they're all losers Exactly. <laughs> I, I would also like to point out that you don't necessarily have to be art students, right? Like mm-hmm. my mom is not an art person like at all in any way, but she's still, she still brought me to art museums because she understood that I was like into that type of thing. She's like, Hey, this is important because I've heard this person's name before we should go, you mm-hmm. know, that like that type of thing, or sometimes maybe just using it as an excuse 
So I think it's it's also kind of important to recognize that there's a more universal appeal here that we can kind of tap into. And I think that maybe even having discussions around people who don't want to be in the museum or are like kind of dragged there mm, yeah. is, is also a really interesting tact to go with it as well. Yeah. Like I personally hate wandering around museums unless they're very, very specialized. So I could see like maybe, you know, it could even be like a group of vacationers who have chosen the museum to visit and one of them doesn't want to be there. And, you know, that's part of the, the, the conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, my wife, uh, her mom is an artist. And as a result, she will zip through museum for like five, 10 minutes. And then I'm like, I'm good. I don't you, yep. you know. Like, and, and like, meanwhile, like what Courtney and I went and with, with my wife to go and see the um, Munch exhibit in London and to actually sit there and like absorb the work and like really sit there and watch it was was really fascinating i loved it. it's a completely different experience to go and see it in person in like a curated manner than to just see the scream and be like oh okay that that's that's a cultural thing that's so me like if it's like okay if it's like the bjork museum or if it's like dinosaurs sure i could spend all day but if it's like it's your standard art gallery museum i'm like in and out in 10 minutes like i know yeah. what i like that's so funny to me because like Tyler my boyfriend and I like we could spend hours in the museum like easily like hours upon hours I am I am of a similar ilk like I could spend hours just be like absorbing everything that's in that you know my my wife won't go with me to museums I'm not allowed to go with her because (laughs) she's in art like she her background is in art like history and stuff so she's like not interested (laughs) with me Uh either Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about my wife as well. So, <laughs> like, it's like, you go and do your own thing. I'm going to go yep. enjoy this museum my I'm way, banned. you know? Yeah. So mine is much um, more broad in scope and has to do with um, basically the origin of the museum. And I had in mind that it was, I think this is something that we kind of touched upon or joked about briefly last time, but um, the idea that this was originally built by some sort of vast empire and it was built to house it's like ever-growing collection of art and relics from its conquests essentially so it would uh, much like britain would go in take over an area and just take a ton of its art for its own um and that empire eventually collapsed but the museum is still around serving as it's like eternal display of brutality and power and theft Um, And I could even see conflict arising within the museum because of that. Like maybe some of the art itself is sort of um, at odds with other pieces of art. Maybe some of the art from like certain cultures that were taken over by this empire hold some sort of animosity against the, the empire's own art. I like, I love the idea of an anti-imperialist bent, you know, like, this is the art that you have literally stolen from us. And there's some conflict inherently within. Mm-hmm. I find that to be really interesting. Also, can, we're talking about the idea that this empire is dead now, right? Like, Yeah, dead yeah it's gone. Yeah. Okay. that That's what I was hoping for, that it could be like this, you know, like a literal specter of a colonialist empire is really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Are those necromancers um, perhaps remnants of the religion of that empire? You mean the necromancers that um that Chris brought up last time that like send the dead off? Yeah, like we we um, imagine them as being kind of pervasive and universal, but what if like now they're a remnant of this this dead empire? Yeah, I like that way more. Yeah, I, I find more. that to be like now you have like cultist leanings to it as well. Yeah. So now it's even mm-hmm. more. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, one thing I would I would add is I do like when you mentioned that the art pieces aren't in the same group because they've been stolen and collected. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of some horror in that you might arrive in a room where it's like, okay, this half is like, I don't know, realistic, you know, sketch art drawings of humans. And the other side is like completely contemporary abstractions. And so the room itself presents a sign of horror based on its its own art. Speaking of inherent horror in art, I mean, what's to say that, or, or rather, what let's let's talk about the idea of what certain cultures consider art. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and considering we're in a fantastical world, like why not go real fucking crazy with it? Yeah. You know, like 
why can't certain cultures find the idea of corpse art to be really interesting and beautiful, mm. you know, like yeah. animating corpses into a specific dance or play or singular unit of flesh and bone. Yeah. Especially since you've got that multiply connected space, like you can do stuff with the actual space that the stuff is in. That would be bizarre, you know, where they enter a room, but actually the room is entering them, whatever that could mean, you know, and then the art takes place there. The room is inside you. <laughs> the room was inside of us all along. <laughs> but then who was phone? <laughs> Rob, oh, the, um, the corpse art thing makes me think of that. Uh, what was it? The capuchin monks in Rome who like made basically just made this like elaborate art and interior decorations out of bones. Oh, the and bone it's, cathedral. It's super creepy. But oh, yeah. that that made me feel things. <laughs> it was so creepy. And just if you like, ever feel, if you ever want to feel like you're real close to death, more so than you've ever been, yeah, go go to the bone cathedral in Rome, <laughs> and you will certainly feel things. Having a skeleton point at me and say, "What you are, I once was. What I am, you will be." You know, that's just a nice hello. And how do you? But do? was was that in Latin? Right? Wasn't it in Latin? <sighs> there was a translation somewhere. Yeah, but actually, it was either in Latin or. Italian. Mm. Ah, the modern Latin. <laughs> Basically. Uh, also, I mean, we have we have human bodies as an exhibit in museums as is. So it's not too far of a stretch, realistically. Yeah. What is the name I mean, of that the, type of exhibit? What? The bodies one? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I think it's called like human bodies. It's just bodies, yeah. But there's or, also or, yeah. um there's also like the Muter Museum in Philadelphia, which is like dedicated to medical, like oh, anomalies yeah. and freaky stuff. It's Gross. it's pretty disturbing, but also awesome. Oh, so now we can kind of play with like what type of museum it is to certain people. Mm. You know, like maybe it's like, hey, this time I'm a medical mysteries museum to attract yeah. medical students because that's <laughs> who I need this time. And because we're playing with infinite space, I mean, it can be literally anything, any mm, type yeah. of museum that you can imagine it can be. As long as it's not a contemporary art museum, because there's nothing I despise more. <laughs> oh, get the fuck out of here. There's some really great contemporary art. So there, like, there there's some background to that. Like I original, I'm an English, like my background's in English lit, but I was originally a double major in like digital art and contemporary art and, and English lit. And I didn't last a year before I... Um, violently left that program <laughs> with disdain for everything in the art world. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I need more information on how you violently left. <laughs> I um, I've I've written stories mocking my professors. That's how much I hated that program. To be fair, Daniel, that's just like you. Were, you were probably one of the most spiteful people I've ever met in my it's life. True. Yeah. Whoa. Like, have you ever heard of, I forget what it's called. It's like um, 22 something, something seconds. And it's like, it's a song, but what it is is literally the musician just puts his fingers over a piano and doesn't move. And oh, 444. Like, yes. Four minutes and 44 feet. seconds. Yes. Yes. And I was like, no, I'm out. I'm done. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all about the absence of music. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, just... it's all about the notes that you don't, Play. Isn't that and wasn't the artist isn't he like a mycologist, like a mushroom guy? Like I'm not surprised. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, defending modern art, there's some really cool stuff. I don't remember the name of it, but there is that there's that one art piece where it's basically a robotic arm and there's blood everywhere. Or I'm sorry, red liquid all over the floor, oh, and yeah, it's desperately trying to clean it. That is actually like I I watched a video of that. It's genuinely affecting. And yeah. um, if you've ever been called. to the Guggenheim, like I've, I've seen some of James Terrell stuff where it's like playing with light and everything like that. And that's actually really cool. But then there's also the banana. Yes. That's what I mean. Like, I like the ones that have skill involved of some kind, but I can't stand it when it's like all concept. It's just like, oh, it's a single hair on a white page. I'm like, get, get out. Of here. Get out. <laughs> okay. But that's true of like media in general. Like, for every good band, there's 18 yes. like 
you know, like bad musicians who are like, why are you popular? But why I will tell you, you in why my do program, you exist? Imagine dragons. Like, it, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you though, my program, that was like 90% of the students were all bullshit artists. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's how art works. Yeah. No, like, see, that's for why, every... you have to, why you have to major in like illustration, which is yeah. more like I grounded in illustrators. something. No, it's. I agree. It's kind of like when I went to culinary school and I kept on seeing all these people making foams. I was just like, get over your fucking self. Goddamn foams. <laughs> foams. And, uh, oh, you made fucking pearls of something that's not supposed to be pearls. You've done this for the last six classes. It's not inventive anymore. Yeah. Although it's true, Courtney, I do respect illustrators. I respect you, especially. Aw, aw, thanks. That's totally oh, not pandering. Okay. <laughs> All right, so 10 minutes of wanking ourselves to art later. Perfect. <laughs> Sorry about that. Things are blue when they're further away. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, who has to go with the conflict? Chris, I believe Me, you. and I have gotten the most mileage out of that joke in all of jokes. <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to go there. Go ahead. All right. Um, I. This is a weird kind of conflict as I want it to be an antagonist to our antagonist. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted something that is either a, a vengeful spirit that exists inside or some sort of trickster God of some sort. I wanted uh, a being that exists within the museum and defaces things. Oh. And I, <laughs> I love that, but not in the way that uh, just like tearing up paintings or anything. I wanted like a Banksy like element in here where it's something that spray paints on the walls and doesn't believe in the conventions of what the museum is trying to do. And it just enrages the museum. So I love the idea because if we're going with Courtney's ideal, that this is an idea that this is an imperialist kind of, you know, like museum why not be like, oh, we conquered these peoples and they say that their gods were in these masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that so silly? And then like, you know, the, the mass or the museum was like, God damn it. The gods are actually in the mask and they're fucking up the less, the West Wing. Like, please, p- please get them back in the mask staff. You know, like that type of thing. I love that. Yeah. Well, four, if you could please just ignore the trickster god that is attempting to draw penises on all of the statues. <laughs> that yeah, that's actually like, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It could be like yeah, like the the subordinate culture like striking back. It could even be like a rogue uh, um, staff member or you know a patron that has gone awry. Either of those would work. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it like it possesses a... some of the staff to yeah. do its own bidding. So For there's sure. just constant like tug of war between the museum and an agent of chaos oh that's yeah that's that's good too yeah all right but uh also from a narrative aspect it would allow you to be like oh you can accept this gift because it might be from this entity that's within the museum as opposed to oh turns out no it's cursed so yeah uh, oh i love the idea of presenting it as an alternative when it's like is it really an alternative or is it <laughs> and, and you take the gamble. You're just like, oh, I don't know. We really need that right now. And it could I, be good. I could even see it as like a tool of the museum to kind of put people at ease. Like this is the way to defeat the museum, you know, like that type of thing as well. That's what the last 3000 thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you think you're so clever. Do you guess what the last ones did too? Yep. It, it buys its time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So, uh, Chris, are you down with the sickness? If so, we can get on to the afflictions. Yeah, come on. Let's get up with the sickness. Come on, you mother. Uh, can, can any of us do the <laughs> part? <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Chris. Oh, that I'm pretty sure that blew out the microphone, but that's I'm sorry. <laughs> what decade is that? Is that 90s? Yeah. Uh, what do you Shut say? up, Daniel. Don't bring history into this. <laughs> is this the 90s? I forget. No, it's early 2000s. That's One second. I'm, I need to get some hot dog flavored water. Oh, God. Oh, that, that's I'm not even that. the same band. God. Ooh. Anyway, let's keep on rolling. Um, <laughs> so who wants to do our first affliction? What I had in mind was 
maybe it's centered around a certain gallery where at some point art had been destroyed or torn up or something um, in a much more like physical, tangible way than just like the graffiti that we were talking about with the trickster gods. But um, something about the gallery basically released the energy from that art piece or pieces and sort of centered around that area like the closer you get to those pieces of art the more reality blurs um and it's almost like a a sort of radiation poisoning if you get close to it like but instead of radiation it's poisoning that can occur from like metal-based pigments or oil paints um so you're getting like blurred vision um some mad hatter shit yeah exactly like Breathing issues, headache, dizziness, probably hallucinate at some point. And, um, yeah, oil so that's what I was picturing. What was that? I was saying, like, oil painting without a vent? Yeah, exactly. Um, basically just inhaling fumes and stuff. Um, so in a way, it's similar to what we had talked about with the necromancer, like, rites where they do something that brings them close to death, but if you're not expecting to be exposed to that in such like a large amount, it really Hmm. takes you by surprise and you become very ill from it. And maybe if you spend too long there, the painting almost starts to absorb you into it. Poisoning. Yeah. Mm. Mm. How does the museum feel about this then? Is it like, hey, that's not what you're supposed to do? Or is it like, ah, that's fine. That needs to be restored in some way. I don't oh, know. wait I was... a minute. Hold, hold, mm-hmm. Sorry. I, I just thought like, maybe that's what the sick, the cycle is all about. Maybe it is attempting to restore all of the ruined paintings. Ooh, maybe that's yeah. the origin mm-hmm. is that this, you know, like crown jewel of imperialist art was destroyed and sacked and burned. And so now the remnants of it are trying to restore each individual art piece and this is how they do it by recreating it and essentially, you know, like b- what we had before. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And you can incorporate yeah, the trickster too, because like the trickster might be someone who was one of the ones enslaved to restore the art who kind of like said, fuck you. And I'm going to do my own thing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. That's, that's pretty fun. That's, that's this, some good stuff here. Absolutely. My affliction comes from the word um, logeria, which is a favorite word of mine. Um, it means a tendency towards extreme loquacity. So you um, babble and speak kind of manically. Um, what I was thinking is, um, and I don't know if this is exposure to a particular art piece or what the trigger is, but basically you start by having this paranoia, distress and fear. You start speaking manically um, and, you know, kind of, being distressed and babbling and all that. And as, as the, the affliction progresses, you start to vomit up um, like paint and chalk and like graphite and other art supply stuff. But then when it gets you towards killing you, you're not only just vomiting up art supplies, but you're actually vomiting up um, concepts and ideas. So like maybe you come across, I don't know, like, some arts piece that's like bicycles or something. So you start vomiting up gears and bike wheels and like a bike helmet and it's killing you because you're vomiting these things up until finally you vomit up yourself and you become basically inside out. That's insanely cool (laughs) and also horrifying, but also insanely cool. Yeah. I could see that tying in with mine. Like maybe mine is like an early stage of, of that. Like, yeah, maybe the, the the haze of the, yeah, the exposure, like you were saying, it's that, it's that poisoning at first, but then it gets worse and worse and you get become manic, you start babbling, mm-hmm. and you start vomiting, and then you vomit yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> My affliction, I don't have any, any fancy word for or anything, but uh, I... Now I'm just a simple, I'm just a <laughs> simple country man. <laughs> Ain't got no big words like loquaciousness. <laughs> Listen, loquaceria. I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I had to. Now I want to do it all in an accent. Uh, do it. N- no, I will not allow this to happen. Do it. It's, no. Newark, yes. Yeah, Newark, yes. 
All right, Chris, what's your affliction? Quick. Was I wanted it to be a play on minimalism, and I wanted uh, someone to just slowly shed themselves of any possessions that they have or anything that they have uh, with them, and they want to just also destroy things near them. And this is kind of like the cycle, I guess, that has a circle and rebirth within the museum itself that we're going with, with uh, it wants to continually repair, but there's also these uh, echoes of things destroying it. So would the, would they eventually start like hurting themselves in this process? That would be the extreme form. Yeah. I originally only viewed it as they wanted like nothing in any of the rooms, but going in from uh, Daniel having someone vomit themselves up, I picture it just like, you know what? I don't <laughs> need all these teeth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I oh, don't yeah, need this skin. Cool. What, what's the point of that? Yeah. Listen, five senses, way too many. Let's get rid of my sense of smell, Wait sight. Wait a minute. We're just we're just creating that Pathfinder Zon Cathon thing again, aren't we? Again? <laughs> like the the thing where you remove its tongue, its teeth, its eyes, and then yeah. it's like all of its limbs are searching the removed. joyful things. The joyful things, yes, that's what we're making. You're just making the joyful things. It's very aligned with like contemporary arts minimalism too, in general, in that they're almost like minim they're minimizing themselves to pure meaning, to pure interpretation by stripping away all things that don't matter. Mm. Yeah, mm. I could also see it being a response to like, I don't know, overstimulation from yeah. seeing all this other art, and they like that kind of triggers something in them where they're like, I need to get rid of everything because like my mind can't take it anymore. And I don't know why, and we don't need to look into this, but there's something horrifying about just walking into an empty room and seeing a naked person. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Depends on the, depends on their pose, but yes, I would agree with that almost mm. universally. Okay, good. It's not just personal to me. Good. Well, especially good. if their heads like spent backwards and they're on all fours, that's always frightening. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would even be frightened of a T-pose, you know, like, just. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's not horrifying. The game just had a glitch. Yeah, yeah. Like that's actually room. why it would be so horrifying is because I would walk into that room and be like, oh, no, I'm in the Matrix. I <laughs> fucked up simulation. Entirely. Yeah. Well, it's like those nurses in Pet Silent Hill. They're just standing there, but they're like, I guess they're always like sort of naked and they're just horrifying. Okay, but those nurses also don't have faces, and they're also like fused. Ooh. There's a lot more to the nurses yeah, than that, that that's that's part of the minimalist. <laughs> they don't need faces, right? Just rip it off. Yeah, scared of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, my affliction has nothing to do with sexy nurses, and it has very little to do with the inner workings of the museum itself. Actually, I wanted there to be a siren call, a dark and terrible muse that is uh, emanating from the museum. So wherever this thing starts to be, or wherever this thing is, artists around it in like the general vicinity will start to get like visions of, like I said, it, like there, it's a great and terrible inspiration. And so they'll start doing work that is way beyond their normal ability, but it's all horrifying. It is all like, and and then eventually what I'm thinking would end up happening or what end up happening is they're just committing violence, right? Like they, their violence becomes their artwork in a way that's, and, and that's, and it has nothing to do with the museum. It's just like, oh, the museum's in town. How do you know? Because a bunch of artists start going crazy and, you know, like start committing horrible acts of violence. Oh, that's so Lovecraft because it has effects outside of the the site of a horror. You know, mm -hmm. it's like bleeding exactly. out of the world. Exactly. It, it doesn't even have to directly influence people. It just it just its presence is enough to be like, oh God, it's ruining everything. Mm -hmm. And then obviously that is a hook into well, why is this happening? Let's try and investigate. You know that type of thing. And the cultists, too, probably hear the siren call and know to be in the vicinity of the museum when the time comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking of hooks, I feel like that was a pretty good segue into our next section where we create plot hooks based around some dice rolls. Yay. Yeah. All right. So we've created a thoroughly spooky and great haunted 
museum. And so now what we're going to do, instead of having an entire episode devoted to plot hooks surrounding the museum, we're going to roll some dice and we're going to try and jam different types of genres into this setting. And that is what we're going to do. All right. So the first, so the first hook is going to be related to the superhero genre. Uh, how are we placing this haunted museum into a superhero genre? Are comic books art? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Of oh. Course. Scott McCloud. oh, that's fun. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious. Like you could do, you know, like the street level heroes get stuck in this museum, and they're a little bit more um, capable of, you know, fighting off the spirits and everything like that. The, the, it, it, it essentially loses a lot of its horror but it becomes like kind of a spooky adventure at this point in a, in a comic book or, or in a superhero style of adventure. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's always like the whole, like um, I'm, I'm thinking of the Christopher Nolan Batman where I think it's the first movie that has the scarecrow, you know, you can have something like that, you know, where I think that one was like an asylum where everyone kind of goes insane from this gas. I mean, Arkham Asylum, one of the most important <laughs> locations yeah. in Batman. I don't even know if I've heard that. But it was like, well, they, was it Arkham in that movie? I don't remember. But the whole gas thing, you know, could it be something like that that you could rationalize it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I could totally see it being a scarecrow type uh, adventure for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Um, and all right. I feel like that's pretty easy. And the next up, the next genre we're going to mix this with is going to be science fiction oh i got that one. double feature <laughs> yeah science fiction i mean sci-fi lends itself to like a holocron or a holodeck or something virtual having being the side of the horror um and an architect of that i think would work great for this museum i mean you could even have it instead of just a haunted museum it's now a ship you mm-hmm. know like there's a derelict mm-hmm. freight somewhere and i think that would work as well yeah yeah. All right. What what other kind of science fiction scenario can we inflict upon the haunted museum? I mean, a a, a digital chip that's not supposed to be accessed that gets passed along, mm. and you interface mm-hmm. with it, and now you're in this mental space. That's cool too. It's Absolutely. like a virtual yeah. reality kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Dope. But you can't escape from it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, you're just playing a video game, and then all of a sudden you're in a haunted museum. It's super cool, you guys. You're you going could also imagine the 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 museum as um um like kind of a a pool of worlds. So instead of rooms, they're different worlds and they're different um civilizations whose art you're exploring, and you go through this wormhole, which is really what the museum is, um, to make it on a bigger scale. Yeah. Ooh. To build upon the uh, wormhole idea, you could also have it be different worlds, different cultures, where as you travel through the museum, it's just becoming more and more alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Besides the infinite space, it's no longer even uh, beginning to be made for creatures that are the same size, height, or shape as us. There's a great like, you're talking about like energy beings at some point, right? So yeah. now we're getting into the color out of space type stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm. I mean, there's a there's a great there's a book called Hyperspace by Michio Kaku, which I absolutely love, um, that talks about some short stories, and one of them is like a tesseract, which is a five dimensional um, building, and so you know you look out the window and it's a different um, planet where you enter a room and you're now like on some other in the middle of a desert. You could have weird stuff like that. Mm-hmm. that's super cool all right and Courtney you had an idea based around that what were you oh yeah say? um so also kind of going off of the wormhole idea like what if the artwork itself was a way to teleport to these different settings oh yeah so you can kind of step wow. into a painting and then be on a completely alien world and have to figure out how to get back oh that, that's interesting too that's cool I'm getting or a maybe little bit even of a mario 64 vibe from that <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking too um or maybe even the museum has consumed these worlds it's oh, like a world ooh. eater and oh, that's that's good. the only place yeah. where those things still exist that's cool absolutely i really like that yep all right and our final plot hook is going to be based in 
let's make it even more fantastical. I know that we already have real ass magic and necromancers and wizards and shit. We're doubling down on the fantasy. What are we doing? Um, I just saw Pan's Labyrinth again. Um, you could frame the whole thing as a fairy tale um, to ratchet the fantasy up. So everything is in the context of a fairy tale or a parable. That's one way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Each story that we're trying to tell is like a pair. But yeah, I, I think that works really well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What else can we do with fantasy, though? What ups the fantasy level? Right? So dwarves are pretty fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's a very good point. <laughs> Everything is a So all the participants are dwarves. All of the staff are dwarves. And the nemesis is also a dwarf. Yep hate (laughs) (laughs) oh i love that line um i'm also thinking of um the sandman um series like what if you're telling these stories not with humans but with like deity sort of beings Mm. and so the exploration of the um the museum is on a cosmic level and the participants are cosmic beings so that would be like very high level fantasy and then wouldn't that make it even more horrific that this museum has power even over the gods and stuff yes, like that? Yes, it'd be cosmic. Yeah. Like it's some kind of like titan in itself. You you could also make it that uh, to be fantasy, part of the thing that it's creating is so that gods can also bid on the artwork. Oh man, oh, that's great. That's Conquered really world great. and yeah. everything. They're like, yeah. this is from their golden age of this planet that was recently destroyed. Oh yeah, yeah, I want that. <laughs> Horror auction. That's great. Nice. That's Yeah, that's really cool. All right. Well, I think that is just about going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've had as much fun uh, getting into the spooky mood as I have this episode and this series in general. Big thanks again to Courtney for joining us for the prompt and for coming on the show. Courtney, that's where you say something. Yeah, this was super fun. Gotta say thank you, otherwise you sound like a dick. <laughs> Don't do yeah, it, this was really <laughs> This was a lot of fun. Um, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, and uh, remember, if you ever want to send in your own prompt and talk and have us talk about it, you can go ahead and send it to worldbuildwithus at gmail.com or you can go ahead and send, shoot us a tweet over at, at Let's World Build. And we will probably talk about your world as long as it's cool and as long as it's interesting. Of course, if you want to hear us talk about your world sooner, you can go ahead and support us on Patreon where our Patreon supporters get VIP access to the front of the line with their cool ideas, among some other really cool stuff. Also, if you just want to come chat with us about a general concept of world building or fantasy stuff or you know anything in general, You can go ahead and join us at our Discord, where we're always on and having fun. And uh, remember that we love you very much, and you're going to get through this week with us. Until next time.